Good morning. This is Melinda Eitzen and the Melinda Eitzen Show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm in my 29th year as a divorce lawyer. And one of the things that we do with divorce is we fight about custody of kids. And that might be in a divorce or it might be in a modification. But I love this work because I like helping people and I particularly like protecting the children. I hope this podcast will also be helpful. And today on the podcast, we have a wonderful guest, one of my law partners, Vanessa Shepard. Good morning, Melinda. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, we're going to talk about custody. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things people always say is they call and say, I want full custody. Is that a thing? People think it's a thing, but <laughs> it, legally it is not a thing. It is not, is it? They think that means, I think when they say that, they mean I want to have the children and I will allow the other person to see them under my control. Yes, that's what they think it means, but the legal reality is much different than what they perceive it to be. So unfortunately slash fortunately, <laughs> both parents get a right to make decisions about their children, see their children, provide support for their children. So in reality, full custody isn't a legal reality that many people can or should realize. They're both going to have specific court-ordered time with their kids, right? Yes. Unless they're an axe murder. Right. Yes. And then they're probably still going to have parental rights. They're just going to be supervised. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> so what is, if we, if we know we're going to have some kind of court-ordered schedule, what does the family code say the presumed schedule is for children three and over? For children three and over, it's actually broken up into three different categories. One with, for parents within 50 miles of each other. It's a little more fluid when they're 100 miles of each other. And then a possession schedule for parents that are over 100 miles apart from each other. Let's talk about they live close together. So if they live close together, the standard presumed possession schedule that's granted is an expanded standard possession schedule. So what that means is that essentially on the first, third, and fifth weekend, a parent gets the right to have their child from the time school is dismissed on Friday until school resumes the immediately following Monday. And on, on Thursdays of each week during the regular school term, they get the right to have their child from the time school is dismissed on Thursday until Friday when school resumes. Holidays alternate, spring break alternates, and then the non-custodial parent gets 30 days in the summer. Usually it defaults to the month of July. And that's what we all call standard possession. Yes. <laughs> and that's the starting point under the law, at least. Right? Correct. Now, you hear more and more talk, and we're probably seeing more and more cases where there's 50-50. That is absolutely correct. There is a trend going in that direction. Absolutely. And what does that mean, 50-50? So 50-50 means equal time with your children. And it takes the form of two kinds of possession schedules, a week on, week off, where one parent has one week, the other parent has the following week, and it alternates. Or a 2-2-3 two, two, possession schedule, where one parent has every Monday, Tuesday, the other parent has every Wednesday, Thursday, and then the weekends alternate. And when we say 50-50, and that means they have 50% of their time, we're talking about overnights, correct? Yes. Nobody's counting the hours in the days. It doesn't mean if you had all day and I had overnight that we're equating that. We're just counting where do they sleep. Exactly. <laughs> but that's not the starting point under the law. Do we ever see judges do a 50-50? Yes, absolutely. Judges 
like we said before, are trending towards 50-50 possession schedules, where they're usually granted is when parents live in close proximity to each other. They live in close proximity to the children's school, assuming that they're in school-age children. Um, so under those circumstances, the parents will probably get a 50-50 if one of them is asking for it. The main concern is obviously the best interest of the child and making sure the child can get to school, picked up from school, that there's not a huge life adjustment to the child in terms of a 50-50. So, but judges seem, seem to be trending more towards that. We practice in Dallas-Fort Worth mm -hmm. and surrounding counties, right? Yes. So there's a lot of judge, judges we're in front of, right? Yes. And there's seven district judges in Dallas County and seven associate judges. Collin County, I don't even know how many we have anymore. Ten, maybe? A lot. A lot, yes. And some of them are dedicated family law, and some of them, they're civil, family, and criminal. criminal. But they're all human beings, right? Yes. <laughs> so each judge could have their own viewpoint, policy, towards I'm going to do standard unless there's a compelling reason not to, or I'm going to do 50-50 unless there's a compelling reason not to. Would you agree? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So it's challenging because the same fact scenario could be different, could be treated differently depending on which judge you're in front of. Yes, it definitely depends on the judge you're in front of. And honestly, it depends on the mood of the judge that day as well. And the facts of your case, there's so many different variables. It's hard to predict for clients. They're like, well, what am I going to, what's going to happen when I go to court? What am I going to get? Can you tell me what the judge is going to order? And there's no way for any family law practitioner to answer that question, to be honest with you. So what advice do you wish people had before they got to your door, before they came and hired you to handle a custody case? What do you wish they knew to do or not do to have an improved chance of getting what they want as far as the parenting time schedule? In terms of the parenting time schedule, first off, stay off social media regarding the other parent, talking <laughs> negatively about them, please. <laughs> that would be my main point of advice to start with because it's very tempting in this day and age. People, People's lives are very transparent. They're on social media often, most of the time. And there's a temptation to disparage the other parent because when you're fighting over your kids, you're not getting along at that juncture in time. Mm -hmm. So it's very tempting to go on social media and say negative things about the other parent. Courts do not look fondly upon that. That yes. will backfire on you greatly. And if, and if you're talking negatively about the other parent, there's going to be a question as to whether you can co-parent. And that could affect your possession time with your children and also your right to make decisions regarding your children as well. And it's hard to ever fully delete anything. Yes. <laughs> and we can't, if somebody comes in and they've already posted all that, we're not allowed to advise them to delete it. Correct. Because there's rules about you can't eliminate evidence that could be out there. Correct. So it's better if they just haven't done it. Right. right. <laughs> Please don't do it. Please don't do it. The other thing that I have seen people post on social media that I wish they hadn't is not necessarily negativity about the other person, but showing themselves in a negative light. Right. Like, woo, party, party. They're out every night doing shots with their friends. And then I'm trying to make a case. Oh, they're this wonderful parent who's at home taking care of the children. But their social media shows otherwise. Right. <laughs> yes, please, when you're in possession of the children, don't post pictures of yourself drinking. <laughs> please don't post pictures of yourself doing illegal drugs. 
I feel like that should go without saying, Melinda, but unfortunately, <laughs> we encounter it very regularly in our practice. So there's just no reason to to put your whole life on social media. It's not no, necessary. It's not necessary. Take a picture of your food. Yes, that's fine. That's fine. A cute dog. Yes. That's why I like to take pictures of my dogs. <laughs> I should have brought a picture. I will next time. They're precious. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, something that cannot be used against you. Right. The other big area where we see people make mistakes, especially younger people, is in the texting. Yes. Oh, my yes. word. So what do you recommend about the texting? Well, that saying goes, there's a saying I've seen on social media, dance like nobody's watching, but text like your text will be read aloud in a deposition or in court. <laughs> Keep that in mind, especially when you're in a custody case, that whatever you text, not only the other parent, but your possible friends and family, that can come back to bite you as well. Be very careful what you put in writing because at the end of the day, it's in writing. You can't undo it. So mm -hmm. you have to be very careful about the emotions you express, the words you use. So please be cautious in that regard. I think it's a bigger problem now because the younger generation, that's heavily how many of them communicate, yes. period. And so they're normally texting heavily. Now they're in a heightened emotion state and it gets bad sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and they put things in text that cannot easily be taken back. Right. And then we're, again, trying to put them in their best light on the stand. And the other side says, did you say this? Yes. <laughs> they are all coming in. Right. right. They need to assume that they are coming in. Yes. Evidence. So uh, be careful what is texted. So I'll tell you a funny texting story. I represented this lady and this is... A long time ago, texting was fairly new and the companies, the phone companies didn't realize that they needed to scrub all that stuff fast. Now, if you subpoena, you know, AT&T, they're not going to give you the text. We have to get them from opposing party. Right. You know, but back then I could subpoena Sprint, AT&T, whoever, and I could get the actual text from the phone company. Oh, wow. Yes. So I did that and come to find out. The opposing party, I represented the husband, the wife worked at an after-school program at one of our big public schools in this area. And while she's there caring for the children of that school district, she is doing a drug deal on her phone. <laughs> I felt like I was on in a movie or something. I was like, aha, <laughs> I've got you. Yes. So... People should assume that I'm going to get all those texts somehow. They do not want to be doing drug deals on their phone. No. <laughs> That's not good for their custody not case. Not good for their custody case. <laughs> yeah, I would say that that would be frowned upon, Melinda, for sure. So uh, one of your wonderful gifts is that you're fluent in Spanish. Yes. That is a wonderful. So tell me why. My mother is from Chile, which is a country in South America, and she taught my sister and I Spanish as our first language um, when we were babies, obviously, and we learned English actually when we started pre-K, so Spanish has always been a part of my life, and I'm so grateful to my mom for giving me that, the gift of being bilingual, absolutely. Yes, so you represent people both who speak English and you have a big part of your practice is Spanish speaking. Yes. 
is there anything in the Spanish world, the Spanish speaking culture that they have a misunderstanding of or a belief about um, that is culturally true about what if I, can I never leave the house? What if I leave the house, what happens? So there is this cultural idea of abandonment that doesn't exist legally in the state of Texas. So for example, I see many of my Spanish speaking clients in divorce situations that are reluctant to leave the house because they're worried if they leave the house, if they move out, that they will give up their rights to their house. And that's absolutely not the case in the state of Texas. You can move out and your rights to the house, the marital residence, whatever the case may be, will still remain intact. So no worries about that. The same goes with the children. If you leave the children with the other parent, you decide to move out for whatever reason, your rights to your children remain intact. You're not eroding your rights to see your children, to have possession over your children, and to even have primary with your children if you move out and leave them with the other parents. So that concept of abandonment seems to permeate the Spanish community, mm -hmm. but it doesn't exist in the state of Texas. So feel free to move out. If it's <laughs> the right circumstance for you, we will protect your rights and mm -hmm. ensure that, um, that your rights remain intact. And sometimes they need to because tensions have gotten so high Right. That it's not healthy for anybody to have everyone in the house together. Absolutely. Now, I will say, if I have a circumstance where somebody wants to move out and they do have kids together, I don't want them to go too long without having overnights with the child. Absolutely. Because then that kind of becomes the status quo. Right. And certainly when you go to court, the first phase, like our temporary hearing phase, the judges are looking at what has the status quo been. So it's best if you have some agreement before moving out about when will you see the kids yes. that's acceptable to you, that might be acceptable to you long-term before moving out. But otherwise, like to your point, it's not some legal abandonment. You never get to see your kids again because you moved out. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Another um, myth, and this is people of all uh, languages, is that when pe children turn 12 that they get to decide what happens with custody, not only where they're going to live, but if they go. Like, it's mom or dad's Thursday night, and they get to decide if they're going to go or not because they're 12. Right. That is absolutely a myth. When the child is 12 years old, the family code does provide that if you file a modification, for example, and you want the child to be interviewed by the judge, the judge shall interview the child which means that the judge must talk to the child, usually in chambers, outside of the presence of either parent or their counsel. And the judge gauges what the child's wishes are in regards to who the child wants to live primarily with or what possession schedule the child wants. But the judge considers a child's wish wishes, excuse me, uh, with the greater weight of the evidence. So the child's vocalization of their desires isn't in itself outcome determinative. The judge considers it along with every other piece of evidence that you introduce at the final trial or at the temporary orders hearing, whatever the case may be. So the child, so putting pressure on a child who's turning 12 or is 12 and above to say, you want to live with me, please don't do that. It's too much pressure on the child and the child and the judge can see right through those actions as well. Mm -hmm. But that is definitely a myth. And when the child is 12 and over, you still have a court-ordered possession schedule. The child must go with the other parent and you must do everything you can to facilitate 
the child going with the other parent or else you could find yourself in real legal trouble. Until they're 18, right. they have to go. I always tell clients, it's like school. You don't tell your child it's optional to go to school. They know they're going to school. Same with going to the other parent. It's not optional. You're going with the other parent. If it's so horrible that they, you know, cannot possibly go, then they need to file a modification with the court and ask the court for relief. Right. But I always ask the client when they're telling me they don't want to go, they don't want to go. I'm like, what is the problem? Like, what are they verbalizing as the problem over there? And maybe you can help. If it's that they can't see their friends, maybe you can help the child talk to the other parent about having friends over. Is it there's nothing to do over there? Then send some stuff over there for the child to do while they're there. Right. There's no food in the house. You hear that a lot. It's it's not that there's usually there is food in the house. It's just not the food they want. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So send some food over. And it's funny because they're taken aback when I say that. You know, some some clients are taken aback by that because they're really not wanting to solve the problem. No. They want me to say, well, then they don't have to go. Right. But they have to go. Or, <laughs> or, or the parent who is not making them go could go to jail. Right. And when I tell them that, well, then you could go to jail. Then they go, oh. <laughs> and I've seen it happen. I've seen judges order a parent who's denied possession and access to the parent seeking relief from the court sent to jail so you could find yourself in real legal trouble yeah. if you don't facilitate the child going with the other parent it's a big deal it's a big deal so one thing that we hope we do in our work is help people to be a better co-parent yeah and we've talked about that sometimes emotions are high maybe they're having you know the custody fight to the death but they're eventually we're going to leave right their case is going to be over and they've got to be able to co-parent the benefit of these children they have to be able to communicate and one thing that we can do to help them in their communications on text or if they're using our family wizard which is a popular yes. website that helps people communicate um, we can give them resources yes and one resource that you and i really like is a book by bill eddie yes the biff book <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And it's B-I-F-F, -F, right? Correct. It stands for Brief, Informative, Firm, and Friendly. So I recommend that book to everyone. You don't have to be going through a custody fight to want to communicate better, right? Right. No, absolutely. In fact, I found it useful in communicating with my husband, who's obviously my co-parent as well, <laughs> because sometimes... Emotions can get high, you're mm -hmm. tired, you're agitated, but sometimes those tools come into play to help you better communicate with your co-parent. And that opens a whole line of, of, of cooperation that will be useful in the long run. And it's an easy read, yes. right? I give it to clients and then when they tell me about an exchange or I read some horrible exchange that they've had, I'm like, that wasn't a Biff communication, was it? No. <laughs> and they'll even say to me, Melinda, I know this wasn't a Biff communication, but <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that Bill Eddy talks about in the book is don't admonish. Right. Don't give advice. That's really hard because we all think we know better, right, with yes. our own children. Yes. And if we're crossways with that person, either we're divorcing them or it's post-divorce and we're 
you know, we don't necessarily think they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's one of the reasons for the divorce. So it's hard for people not, it's very natural to want to give advice. Yes. And say, well, if you were a good parent, you would only give them blueberries on. Right. <laughs> and not McDonald's. Right. But, but he says not to do that. Nope. No, you no cannot advice. do that. No. So they get to live their lives as long as they're not abusing the children. Right. And that's the thing. And at the same time, you don't want to be communicated in that way. So think about the reciprocity that has to happen in that regard. Mm -hmm. So, but certainly keep your communications, as Bill Eddy says, brief, informative, firm, and friendly. One of the joys of divorce is you do not have to make decisions with that person anymore. In your own home, you can make decisions. Yes. Same for them, though. Right. <laughs> It's they, a two-way street. In their own home, they get to make decisions. So the the homes could be a little different. It's nice to get on the same page about some things, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's uh, discipline. You don't want a teenager who gets to stay out till 2 a.m. at one person's house and has to be home at 10 p.m. at the right. other person's house. So when people can get on the same page about some things, that's beneficial. But they don't have to. Correct. Not required. <laughs> not, it's not required. Like you said, as long as the other parent isn't abusing the other child, essentially each that's your co-parent and mm -hmm. that parent gets to choose how they parent the child within limits, of course, mm -hmm. as you get to as well. So it's important to be mindful and respectful of that. Mm -hmm. We um, started out saying we're going to talk about a custody case. So what helps people to have a better looking custody case? Like what do judges care about when they're hearing the evidence that would make them be more likely to give your client primary parent, meaning the children would live with them more of the time? So certainly being a primary decision maker for your child. For example, I had a case where one parent, not my client, thankfully, was seeking to obtain primary conservatorship. And I asked the that parent, well, who's a child's pediatrician? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, who's a child's dentist? Oh, I don't know. I mean, these are basic answers to questions that you should be able to answer in any custody case. Mm -hmm. And being the parent that takes a child to the doctor, to the dentist, being the parent that's involved in extracurricular activities, showing up, signing them up, being the parent that is present for your children. Of course, I understand many parents nowadays both work full-time jobs, but being present as much as you can for your children is very important. But certainly knowing that basic information is the first step in trying to get primary conservatorship. Because if you don't know who your child's pediatrician or dentist are, or if they have, or if they're in counseling, or if they have special needs and educational needs, and they have ARD meetings, and all of that, then those are considerations that the court's going to consider in awarding primary conservatorship to a parent. Yeah, they want to know who's been involved, right. right? And that's not the end of it always, right? It's not too late to get involved if maybe that wasn't the division of labor, right? Right. Like one parent was a stay-at-home parent, so of course they did all that. But in most instances, that parent's going to have to go back to work. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to ha have the luxury of being mommy or daddy on the spot for every single thing. Right. So if a client came into me and they had not been that parent, they'd been the worker making the money parent, but mm -hmm. they wanted primary, I would really explore with them why, you know, do they have a concern? Mm -hmm. It's hard to have a concern if you've been leaving the children with that person 
all this time. All that time, yes. But maybe that's the reason for the divorce is the concern has reached a level, you know, where they needed to part ways. And then we might be focusing on what that concern is, right? Maybe it's mental illness or substance abuse. And those are sad cases, right? Yes, absolutely. It's tough, especially interestingly enough for that parent, because I see most of the time when that parent's making that decision to initiate litigation, they really struggle with it because litigation is not easy on either party. Mm -hmm. And especially when you have substance abuse issues or mental health concerns, making that decision, taking that step is, Mm -hmm. it's a big step and it's a hard step, but sometimes it's a necessary step to protect your children. And it may be the best thing that ever happened. I had a case where I represented the husband and he did have a substance abuse problem. He, he was a great guy. He just drank too much, you know, and it was really severe to the point that he'd lost a job over it, you know. Wow. Yeah. Interfering with his life level. And because of the lawsuit and she took it extreme, I mean, she started out with protective order. He couldn't be around the child at all. So when he came to me, he had a protective order against him. He couldn't see the child and he got into treatment. He did everything they ever said. He got sober. And by the end of the case, he had a normal, unsupervised relationship with his daughter. And he said, Melinda, this is the best relationship I've ever had with her. That's amazing. I know. So it can be, you know, it's like almost like a tough love situation. It can be the best thing that happens to give someone a wake up call that what they're doing is not healthy instead of just staying in, you know, that that his wife could have just kept protecting the child from his alcoholism, just kept, you know, shielding the child as much as she could and allowed him to stay that way. And he could have ignored the wake-up call, right? He could have just kept drinking, but he didn't. He really took it seriously and had a whole new life. That's amazing. I know. So it's not a bad thing, you know, to, to take action. Right. To ensure that your child is protected and you don't want them growing up thinking it's normal right. to have certain behaviors in the house. Yeah, no, definitely. It's important to take those issues into consideration and mm-hmm. obviously protecting your child or children is should be the utmost priority for any mm-hmm. parent. And, you know, obviously that doesn't mean isolating the other parent, but try to be there for the other parent as best you can. But mm-hmm. obviously if you have to go through court, the issues, the severity of the issues already gone out of control in my opinion. Yes, yes. I mean, the hard thing about litigation is everybody's under a microscope, yes. right? I mean, most people don't want to have their life under a microscope. No. <laughs> Even if we're living normal, boring lives, we right. don't really want that. Um, so that's a hard thing about it. But the when a judge is looking at the whole picture, you know, the judge doesn't know these people and they're having to make a decision about what should happen. Now, not all cases are resolved by trial. True. True. So what are other ways that people can resolve their custody dispute? My favorite is mediation. I love mediation. Mediation is amazing because it's a day or a half day that's dedicated to your case and where a mediator who's a third party experienced in family law well, you and your attorney are in one room, the other side and their attorney are in another room, and the mediator goes back and forth between both rooms to try and facilitate an agreement. The beauty about mediation is that it allows you and your and the opposing side 
to be creative, to come up with solutions that work for your family. Because when you go to court, you're standing in front of a person in a black dress, making huge decisions for your family that don't know you, that don't know your children, but take the weight of the evidence into consideration and makes a decision. Mediation takes that equation out of it and makes an opportunity for you to come up with a solution that's creative and custom for you. And the beauty about mediation and the scary part about mediation is that the agreement is binding and irrevocable, meaning that after you reach an, an agreement and sign the agreement, the negotiations in your case are done. That's it. You're stuck with that agreement until the case is finalized. And I think that given that sense of finality provides a lot of closure and comfort for clients. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We also have collaborative approach. Yes. The collaborative approach for divorces is wonderful as well. And it, and Melinda, you are the expert in collaborative <laughs> law and it allows, it takes a litigation process out of it and allows for, you know, a financial expert, a mental health professional, the attorneys to come together and also come up with custom solutions for your divorce and for your children. So it's a beautiful process. And if you're not interested in going the court route, the collaborative process is definitely one you should consider. So thank you so much for being on the podcast thank today, you for Vanessa. Me. To say something, um, thanks to our audience in Spanish for us. Gracias por estar en nuestro podcast. Te lo agradecemos mucho. Gracias. Oh, thank you so much. And now our tip for the day. If you find yourself in a custody case or you think one is coming up, you want to be the most involved parent you can be. You want to be the one getting them up, getting them ready for school. You're doing the after school work. You're doing the bedtime routine. You know who their teachers are because you're up there meeting with their teachers. You're taking them to the doctor, to the dentist. You're coaching their sports. Judges like to see involved parents, and that's the parent that's going to win the coin toss if we don't have other concerns in the case. So tip for the day, be involved. Thank you so much for watching the Melinda Eitzen Show. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me at melinda at d-elaw.com.